The scripture today is found in Acts 2, uh, and we'll be reading 1 through 12. You can follow along with you. When the day of the Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing of mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of their heads. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together, and they were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontius and Asia, Persia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya, belonging to Serene and visitors from Rome. Of Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty words of God. And all their names and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, Hear them. Today's scripture can be found in John 16, 5-15. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I, not, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, and of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of, of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you what things to come. He will glorify me, and he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the, that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said, he will take of mine and declare it to you. There are but a few people who witness the birth. There are but a few people at his breasts and naming. Important, but few. There are but scholars and rabbis, handful of teachers of the law, at the temple, at the time of his bar mitzvah, on which occasion Joseph and Mary got halfway home and realized they had left him. There's scriptural silence between the bar mitzvah and the beginning of a ministry. And at the beginning of a ministry, there's one called and then another until there are 12. 
And what we don't see in the Gospels is the entourage that accompanied them all. I was watching a silly series that started in 1994 by the BBC called The Vicar of Dibley. Any of you ever seen that? Okay, well, Netflix it. It's a worthwhile uh, series. Rather humorous. And uh, the council, the town council, the church council, was talking about how uh, they really should not have this woman vicar. After all, it was Jesus and 12 apostles, all male. And we laugh when we watch that because we've heard that argument in our own debate on whether women should be pastors and whether they should be ordained to ministry. But I assure you there was an entourage of women that went with Jesus and the Twelve. And you have home base, maybe, Nazareth for a while, Capernaum. And you have a ministry that expands first to a few healings and a few miraculous signs, but rapidly draws crowds and supersedes the prophetic work of John the Baptist. Thousands are ministered to. And the admiring crowds disappear as an arrest is made on Passover night. And the disciples scatter as they realize the threat to their lives that looms. And it is in virtual solitude that Jesus dies. It is a handful of people who request his body and remove him from the cross. It is but a few who lay him in a tomb. And it is a small gathering who, in this shocking time, stare at one another in bewilderment and say, this isn't how I expected things to go. Oh, they could look back and remember glorious times. There were all of five of them at the Transfiguration, not counting Moses and Elijah. But they were in shock. Three days post-death, he rose, as you know, and appeared. And appeared multiple times in multiple places to a number of witnesses. And hope was rekindled. And I'm here to tell you today, if you haven't discovered it already, hope is a very powerful thing. It is a life-saving thing. And in hope, they look forward, they start remembering, they start talking, they start planning. It's 40 days, we celebrated it last week, that Jesus says goodbye and ascends to his Father in heaven. They watch him up and disappear through the clouds. Once again, they're lost a bit and disappointed a bit. This last passage we just read speaks to that. Turn to that passage, if you would. John 16.
This is prophetic time because we aren't at the very end of his life just yet, close in John's gospel, but it says, Now I am going to him who sent me, yet none of you asks me, where are you going? It's so difficult, isn't it, to accept the reality of something other than what we live with and what we live in. Even when we're expecting it, it's a bit of a shock when we lose a loved one. And none of the disciples are processing what Jesus is saying. It just sounds like blah, 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 blah to them. But Jesus identifies the core thing going on. They're in denial. Verse 6, Because I have said these things, you're filled with grief, but I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the council, or capital C, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment, in regard to sin because men don't believe in me, in regard to righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and in regard to judgment because of the prince of this world now stands condemned. Three important things happening there in that passage. I've identified part of it for you in my preamble. The effectual ministry of Jesus Christ on earth was incredibly small. And as near as I can tell, his intention was never to create the Christian church. He came as a Jew to Jews in the Jewish context, within the Jewish religion, as one who sought to offer a corrective to misconceptions about the generosity of the Father. A tiny nation in a tiny corner of the earth, occupied by the greatest kingdom ever, Rome, empire. A few cities, a few dusty, desolate, deserted places where Jesus was able to go and speak and minister. If you think about it as remarkable as the ministry of Jesus was. And we are told that if all of the words of Jesus were to have been recorded, there wouldn't be books enough to contain them all. If all the deeds and actions were recorded, there wouldn't be books enough to contain them all. Even though his ministry was huge, prolific, pivotal, seminal, the only one that really counts my ministry doesn't count at all, except as his ministry counted. Even though we place such significance there, the number of people reached was really relatively small. But the comforter would change the game. Whereas Jesus would minister locally, the comforter would minister globally. Thank you. Conviction of sin would start not with law. Did you notice that? This isn't a Pauline epistle. This isn't a Pauline formula. No, sin is transgression of the law. No treatise on without law there was no 
guilt, without guilt. None of, none of that interesting and wonderful and very meaningful argument. Sin in this definition comes down to not believing in the one who was sent of the Father. That's it. And the Spirit will make a universal conviction about that. I don't know if you read my notes, but there are 3.8 billion Christians in the world today. Has that spirit been reasonably successful? Oh, come on. (laughs) I know nothing to equal it. He will convict in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. And in righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you no longer have my direct example, where you can no longer see me, where you can no longer ask me the question. And in regard to judgment, and I love this, because of the prince of this world now stands condemned. It wasn't very many weeks ago that I preached that sermon It is finished. Jesus is referring to that here. Who is the prince of this world? Satan. The prince, small p of this world, now stands judged, condemned. So, who is the real prince of the world now? Capital P. Jesus. That's right. Jesus took it back. What belonged to Adam and was lost has been recaptured by Jesus Christ. I have much more to say to you, verse 12, much more than you can now bear, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. Hopefully a reference to the soon-to-be second coming. We all continue to await. But in the meantime, Jesus reaffirms, as he will in chapter, uh, as he does in 15 and 17, the unity of God. All that the Father has is mine, and the Spirit takes all that is mine and passes it on to you. The essence of God is with you in the Comforter. I have not forsaken you. I have not left you. I have not abandoned you to your own devices. And so as Jesus ascends, the disciples are left waiting. Only this time there is no confusion. Acts 2 tells us the story. We read it as a call to worship. No, we read it as a a text just a minute ago. Turn to Acts 2 very uh, briefly. And let's remind ourselves of what that looked like. When the day of Pentecost came, that would be 50 days after Passover, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. These 
were all together in one place. Some translations say one accord. And you've heard the joke. What is the only automobile mentioned in the Bible? The Honda Accord. For it says they were all gathered in one accord. Not such a good joke, but nevertheless one you've probably heard. At the end of the day, they are there gathered in one place. They have been praying, listening to the ministry of the word. They have been recounting further the life of Jesus. They've begun to get their act together. They've begun to think about what they might be called to do. And this incredible outpouring occurs. I don't know what these tongues of flame look like. That's simply how they're described. And I don't know what that must have felt like because in my own life, while I have many times sensed holiness or the presence of something other, it has never been so dramatic as a rushing wind and a tongue of flame and a transforming presence that allowed me miraculously to speak in such a way that everyone could hear in their own tongue. Diaspora Jews from the captivities of Assyria and Babylonia scattered to the four winds of the world had gathered. And as the message was spoken in plain terms, each heard it in his own tongue. The work of the Spirit. Now there's something awfully wonderful and remarkable about this. Because those of you who speak two languages or more know the nuances that don't translate between them. You know the idioms. You understand even the variations from region to region, perhaps, that speak the same language. I mean, I'm here to tell you, I hardly recognize the English in some parts of the United States. It sounds very different than my own. And when I say some parts of the United States, I'm talking about maybe even San Fernando. Like, you know, I was getting ready to preach this, like, like sermon, and like, so I went, like, down to the mall, like, and like, um, you know, well, you know, like, um, did, did you get any of that? Wow, okay, great. So, like, when I speak, like, you know, like a youth sermon, maybe, like, I should, like, talk, like, like this. Oh, my gosh. Well, anyway, enough of that. Amen. Yes. Each heard it in his own tongue. The nuances weren't lost. They got the excitement of the story. They could hear the detail. They could hear what the Spirit was saying. And thousands began to join the church. What would that look like? We welcomed three today. What if we welcomed 3,000 today? It'd be a little overwhelming, wouldn't it? Bigger church. Yeah, no, more, at this point, many more services. Santa Clarita would never give us permission to build a bigger church. It would take uh, 12,000 people showing up at City Hall with placards and uh, loud voices to get that done. It was an amazing 
moment. And the Spirit continues its amazing work. From the still, small voice that speaks in your consciousness to outpourings in parts of the world where 3,000 are still baptized in a day. That spirit still convicts right and wrong and moves us toward faith. Spirit continues to bring its gifts both those kind of gifts that we are to employ in service to one another that we also might all be in one accord and those gifts that bring us things like joy and peace those things called fruits and the spirit is still here leading directing moving guiding it's like Jesus made himself invisible, but universal, forsaken not. O power of Christ, now returning, Spirit of God, live in us, your people, we pray. Amen. Amen.